Welcome to the National Community Church Podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend message with you. If you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes or go to theaterchurch.com. Well, I'd like to welcome all eight of our campuses to International Community Church. Uh, my name is Dave, if we've never met before. I'm normally over at the Lincoln campus, my people. But it's good to be with you here today. Hey, thrilled you're here as we're closing out our A18 mission series. And I did want to make mention to you that we are uh, kicking off Advent. Uh, this, this Sunday is, is uh, the beginning of Advent for you. It, it's Latin that means coming or anticipation. And so uh, something I can encourage you to do before you begin to binge watch the new season of Crown or Stranger Things. <laughs> Come on, I know some of you are doing that. Or uh, anything else in our festivities, I'd encourage you. Can we just uh, open up our hearts in preparation for the coming of Jesus? Get into the scriptures, maybe open up the book of Luke, go one by one. Um, but hey, we're in the series Brave. And I wanted to give a little shout out to our crosswalk kids because, man, the last month they have been showing some serious brave. They, uh, they raised over, listen to this, $2,000 through their piggy banks in trying to raise for over 100 families during Thanksgiving. And uh, I think we've got a photo of that and uh, kids just getting out there. There's a great story, Evelyn Atkins. Uh, had this brilliant idea. She decided to go to her dad's office and she went to all her coworkers asking for donations. And she raised $300. Isn't that incredible? So awesome to see that. Also, hey, you know what? Like, oftentimes there's so much bad news out there today. Sometimes it's good to hear some good news. We believe the good news ought to be in the news. And uh, this is cool. Street Sense. If you've seen it around the district, uh, went out and they wanted to do a story on events that we do call Listen and Learn, this idea of trying to uh, bridge community and relationships for families that need it most, families that have come from overseas, desperate, and we provide financial opportunity. They came. We had no idea, but uh, it became the cover and uh, this, this month's uh, issue. And so, hey, I'd encourage you, go out and get a copy and the cool part is when you purchase a copy, it actually goes towards serving those that are experiencing homelessness. It's like a double win, yeah. right? All right. Did you notice how I began and how I introduced the church? No. Some of you. Okay. All right. Let me try it again. I'd like to welcome all eight of our campuses to International Community Church. All right. It's National Community Church. We're not changing the name. I'm not announcing that. But if you think about how we're made up, all of our eight campuses were actually more international yeah. than you realize. Did you know my unofficial tally is we have about 75 nations represented at National Community Church. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Wow. I love that. And so, you know, I thought maybe we have a little bit of fun today. Um, I'm going to name a few of those countries. I'm going to give a little shout out. If you hear your country, where you're from, do a dance, do a shout out, do a clap, whatever you're comfortable with. But I just want to celebrate a little bit. Can we do that? China. We have Argentina. We have Guatemala. We have South Africa. We have Russia. We have Thailand. We have Mexico. 
we have Texas. <laughs> Come on, y'all are from a different country. We know that. I'm just having a little fun with you. But uh, you know, what's amazing is about that in so many different ways, 75 different nations that are a part of this community. I think that's so beautiful. But part of what makes it so beautiful is that if you think about it, when God is revealing his message throughout the scriptures, oftentimes in the New Testament, the cities that he chooses are not random and arbitrary. We think about Antioch, where Paul is sent out with silence. You, you, you think about Corinth, you think about Ephesus, you think about Rome, think about Jerusalem and ancient Israel. These were all intersections for culture. They're known as, as crossroads, where faith and politics and education and all of these come together. And, you know, if I'm going to take it back to the modern world, where do you think is a modern-day crossroads? Right in this area. And so that doesn't just make us special or it, it doesn't make us that in any way. It makes us positioned, yeah. right? There are over 177 diplomatic missions in this area. Did you know that? And what's fascinating to me is we get to see this sort of nations are coming here, nations are being sent out, and it becomes sort of this distribution center where people are sent and they go and they come back. This past summer, we had 25 Nelson Mandela scholars. Out of 200,000 applicants in all, all over Africa, 25 uh, scholars came, ones that are the most highest potential for the next generation in leadership in Africa. They came and they were a part of our community for an entire summer. And how powerful was it for NCCers to come alongside them at the very end, lay hands on them, almost like they did in Antioch, prayed over them, prayed the Spirit of God would empower them with kingdom values so they wouldn't be corrupted by power, that they would share their power. You know that Abraham Lincoln said, any man can handle adversity, but test a man's character, give him power. Kingdom values fused and sent out. And it's such a beautiful expression of what that looks like right here. And it just starts getting fun. I was in Lebanon this past uh, May, and I'm at a, uh, with a bunch of pastors, and we end up at a church that I had never been to before, and I see uh, somebody coming, walking up, and at, like from a distance, I could tell it was an American. Because let's be honest, us Americans, when we go abroad, we try to be conspicuous, but it's pretty obvious we're American. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that couple wearing tennis shoes, jeans, and a fanny pack. <laughs> American, all right? That whole group of people that are wearing neon shirts that say, I heard orphans, American, all right? We just kind of stick out. So she walks up to me and, and introduces herself. I say, oh, I'm, I'm from National Community Church in D.C. She said, no kidding. I went to the Kingstown campus. She said, I was in the mission series last year, and we talked about heart for uh, the marginalized, and God gripped my heart, and she said, I, I felt called to go here to Lebanon to learn the Arabic language, and as I'm here, I meet this church, and they find a need, and now I'm here serving. Wow. 
I love these beautiful stories, and I'm actually believing that, that maybe that's your brave right now, that you know exactly where you're supposed to be. And, you know, you just, it's, it's 5% there, but we're waiting to just kind of, what's the 95% when faith is actually stepping out with the 5%? Yeah. And some of us need to step into that space. Well, the next day, I go and I meet the head of World Vision for uh, Lebanon. It's a, a wonderful Lebanese man. I walk up, I shake his hand, and he says, hey, my daughter goes to your church. Wow. She's a student attending our campus. And so we have all of these beautiful sort of pictures of what it means to come together and be a part of this amazing community. Now, we also believe that the church ought to look and reflect like its community in its neighborhood. And here's the thing in the church, according to the Barna Group, the average church in America is 10 times more segregated than the community in which it serves. And here's the problem. There's not a Nigerian church. There's not a Hispanic church. There's not a white church in heaven. And if you go to heaven and you're there and it's a white church, you're not in heaven. Because every tongue and tribe and nation come together and are gathered in the church. And so why not have a little piece of heaven right here on earth? And that's what we need to look like and believe in. And so God has positioned us. Now, here's what's really beautiful. You know, we're 177 diplomatic missions here. An ambassador translates servant. An ambassador's role is they're given authority and they're given power to represent the king or the country that they're with. So what that means is an ambassador, which is given the position of the lowest, but is given full authority from the highest, every step that an ambassador takes is with the mission in mind. As an ambassador, I represent my king. Are you smelling what I'm stepping in? <laughs> Is that not the picture of what it means to follow Jesus? Yes sir. yes, sir. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, ambassadors of reconciliation. So how many ambassadors in here? You know, the funny thing is, in this area, there's probably ambassadors <laughs> in this area. You know what I mean? So as ambassadors of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, turn with me to James chapter 1. I want to share something from my heart. And sometimes when it's in your heart, it's, it's hard to translate. Uh, anybody ever feel that way? But it was a week ago, about 3 in the morning, I woke up wide awake. And I was just alert to this passage that he took me here. And, and what I want to do right now is I actually want to reflect on where we're at in our culture. Because it's kind of a mess right now, isn't it? Yeah. And when I reflect on that, I want to ask the question, what is it look like for God to be calling us to that next level? So turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 26. Now, James is the brother of Jesus, which, side note, 
Have you ever thought about being the brother of growing up with the brother, like being Jesus, like the sinless son of God? I mean, talk about having some therapy issues on inferiority. You know what I'm saying? Now, James has become empowered, and he's very influential in the early church. And we have to understand that the church is energetic. It's exciting at this moment because it's flourishing. The spirit is moving. They're adding to their numbers daily. But at the same time, culturally, it's very chaotic. It's politically a mess. A couple of decades from then, Rome is going to destroy the, first temp- uh, the second temple, which is the center of religious life. The Christians are going to be uh, persecuted, and they're going to be scattered, and they're going to be sent out. And so you, you sense an urgency with what I'm about to read right now in James 1, and 27, and here it is. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Tell us how you really feel, James. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. For the first time in our history, a majority of this generation is identifying themselves as nons. It's actually a category. And what that means is the majority are no longer connecting themselves to Christianity or a brand of that. They're rejecting that. And number one reason why statistically, the num- by, by a far margin, is because what they see and hear is not working. Now, I think it's pretty general consensus that we can all agree that something is going on in our culture today. Would you agree? Something is stirring. I've talked to people that have been around for 70, 80 years. They've been through so much. And I say, have you seen this before? And the, the overall response and reaction that I get is no. I have not seen this before. There's the stew of all of these things converging together. And as I woke up at three in the morning a week ago, something came into my my mind and my heart, and I'm just gonna throw it out there. And just a thought that came to my mind was this. I wonder if we're on the verge of a new reformation. A reformation. Now, maybe. I don't know, but what I can tell you is just about every 500 years, the church goes through what Bishop Mark Dyer says is a house cleaning. He calls it a rummage sale. Things that are superfluous, things that are attached to the pure gospel begin to shed their way because they're worthless. And it's fascinating. You go 500 years. We just celebrated the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation, didn't we? Now it's not formulaic, right? That's why I'm saying I don't know. But here's the thing. The conditions that precede 
every historical reformation that I have studied, that scholars have studied, the conditions that preceded are almost identical to today. Let me give you one example. In 1954, Gordon Moore, who's the, uh, he's the co-founder of Intel, he comes up with this theory, and it, it, barely anybody paid attention to it at the time, but he said that the microchip would double in its capacity, this is 1954, the microcomputer chip would double in its capacity every two years. And if that were true, at some point, it would then move into exponential growth. And what's interesting is this, it came true. And in 2007, we hit technologically a period now in which there's exponential growth, which means that we are now moving into a period where our souls simply cannot keep pace with the amount of change that's happening in our world today. We can't. And what it's doing is it's fundamentally reshaping the world that we're in and I don't think I'm being overdramatic. And the question in our minds today that people all over our country are asking when they're questioning ideas and thoughts about faith, they're not asking is it historically true or correct. You know what they're asking? Does it matter? And we have to ask this question. And so, it's sort of playing itself out in all of these different ways. And you know what the number one response that everybody across all generations, races, and cultures say, the number one word that's being said right now, overwhelmed. And so just the very ground in which we're walking on is sort of just becoming destabilized. And, and so that which is within or that which has been buried deep within is now coming to the surface and it's coming hard, fast, and angry, right? Let me just take one example, one that's happening right now in the media. Hashtag me too. Now, if you, in case you've been hiding under a rock for the last month and a half, you'll know and see that there is a movement that started, I think it was a month, month and a half ago, of this idea that sexual assault is a lot more prevalent than we think it is. And it's sort of taken off and now we're seeing high profile people that are being accused and fired. And, and it's like culture doesn't even know how to respond to what's going on right now. And the question to me in my mind as we think about reforming and stripping away, what is the response of the church? Here's what I know. According to the CDC, one in five women have been raped. Wow. 44% of women in our country today, according to the CDC, have been sexually assaulted, whether illegal or inappropriate. first response that I think we need to pay attention to is the church should not be silent. That I think we need to be a space of unbelievable amount of healing. 
We also need to be like Jesus, full of grace and truth. Truth is we need to call it out for what it is, that it's wrong on both sides, that it robs the image of, of God within men and women, and it's causing all sorts of problems. The second thing that we need to do is men, we need to not just be shocked by it, which women are not shocked, men have been shocked. It's interesting, the responses. Men, we need to be intentional. Yeah. We, need, we need to listen. Yeah. And we need to take this very, very seriously. I, as a man, cannot and will not be able to understand a woman that has felt diminished and devalued because she's been told to let it go. Or the person that hasn't been able to say something because she hasn't felt safe. And so my prayer is that this can be a space that we can more regularly talk about these things. Because here's the thing, the church isn't always gonna be the happiest place, but it should be the most honest. And I wonder if I could just pray right now over some of you. Lord, I just, I just feel that sense. I just pray right now for those that have been hurt so badly and devalued and so disrespected. I pray that your presence would rest. I pray that we would be a church that takes seriously the hurt and the brokenness in our society and our culture. Forgive us, Father. We pray your resting and anointing on that. In Jesus' name, amen. I guess just in a spirit of honesty, um, and I wonder if you can relate to this, Oftentimes I feel a bright sadness. Sad because you feel the weight of everything that's going around. And if we're totally honest, it's heavy. It's like a dark cloud. And it's not just here in the States, it's all over the world. But I feel a brightness because when you study the conditions of confusion and chaos in the past, guess what? The gospel is the most powerful and the most prepared and the most amazing opportunity for healing. And so in the midst of all of the confusion that we see and that we feel, I have never been more energized. I've never felt more empowered in my life because I absolutely believe that as we begin to strip away that which is superfluous and we focus on the gospel, healing, can begin to take place. And so I believe whatever the next space is, whatever that looks like, I believe it's the move of the spirit. Because all of the divisions, all of the changes, all of the disconnections that we feel with one another, the common language is the move of the Holy Spirit. I was down in Haiti uh, this past summer and we were with one of our partners. And uh, Francois Lee and Julie, and they're a beautiful Haitian couple that uh, 
do amazing work with, with kids. And I was there and I was, I was sitting at the guest house with the family and I'm sitting by myself and in the kitchen is some music playing. I'm not really paying attention to it. And it's a, a cook is there, a Haitian woman. And as I'm sitting there, I begin to listen and I start to hear a hymn that I recognized because I was forced to go to a nursing home when I was a kid and heard thousands of hymns lodged in my brain. And I heard it and I started to sing. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. And as I begin to sing it, the Haitian woman with her back to me, I see her stop. And she starts to turn around. And as she turns, she's got the biggest smile on her face. And she starts singing the song in her language. And I start to sing the song in my language. Oh, thee, oh, the folly of sin, I resign. Oh, Thee, my perfect Redeemer, Savior art mine. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis mine. And a pastor from D.C. and a cook from Haiti were connected in the Spirit. We didn't have those identities. You know what we were? We were just two children of God yeah, yeah. coming together in the spirit. That is what we're invited into. Now, the next passage as we're closing. The next passage gives us a beautiful picture of what I believe we're continued to call be called into, and this is what I love about NCC, is I believe we're maturing in this, this idea of being on mission to serve and walk alongside the poor. Verse 27, many of you know this passage. You ready? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the widow and the orphans and to keep oneself unstained from the world. John, James is actually participating in what is common in every one of these historical moments from Jeremiah to Jesus. It's a practice of reducing all that we see, all of the rules, all of the things down reduced into a single most essential thing. And you'll see the theme throughout all of these different moments. What's most essential is a heart of justice, is a heart for the poor, is a heart to come alongside and to walk with the widow and the orphan. Why widow and orphan? Well, in that period of time, they were the only ones that did not have a male representative in a patriarchal society. The ones that don't have a voice, the ones that don't have access to that. And you see this beautiful blend of justice, and then you see this beautiful blend of righteousness, because I feel like the next move is going to be about holiness as well. And so as we close this time, I was thinking about the early church and I was reflecting on what made them stick out, what was so attractive, what drew people to the church at that time. And I want to refer you to a passage in Acts chapter 2. And it's this, and all who believed were together 
and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The good news very much wants us to think in simple terms of a neighborhood, in terms of being in solidarity with other people, in sharing our resources, and of living out beyond ourselves. The good news contradicts the dominant values of our system, which encourages self-protection and self-sufficiency and the loss of the common good. Listen to this quote. The challenge in the U.S. church has almost nothing to do with liberal or conservative. It has everything to do with giving up of a faith and a discipline of our Christian baptism and settling for a common generic U.S. identity that is part patriotism, part consumerism, part having to be right, and part affluence. And so we've begun to think about what does this look like on the ground and how can we as a church be passionate about sharing our resources and distributing around our communities to those that are in need. And we came up with this idea called 818 Commons. And I want to show you a video that checks, so check it out. For years, we've been asking the question, how can we connect the vast need in our community with the incredible resources that we have as a church? A lot of us have resources that we can give and that we can share. We just don't know who needs them. How can we get those to come together? And that's A1A Commons. We're surrounded by need all around us. Everything from refugee care to people experiencing homelessness to foster care. And you think about the area that we live in, it's very transient, right? So you have people coming and going all the time, and you have people that are trying to like downsize. Commons allows us to take what we have and directly give it to people in our communities who we would have never otherwise met. Being able to put out there, this is what I'm looking for, and then actually having people meet those needs. As a nonprofit partner, we use A18 Commons to fill needs for our foster families and for our families who are trying to keep their kids out of foster care. We need car seats, we need pack and plays all the time. We need metro cards, we need grocery gift cards. It makes the giant hurdles they're facing just a little bit easier and it tells them they're not alone. It honestly keeps me up. This idea of our community at large has these skills and resources to provide those that need it most in our community. And it's how do we mobilize people better so we can look like the early church that was able to do that and reflect Christ's love in such tangible ways so commons is that ability I was in the street for 15 years and now I'm in this apartment I actually didn't know that I needed as much as I need this came from NCC this came from all these came from NCC uh, these plates it tells me that I'm not alone in the world today I'm very proud to have this place. We've tried to work really hard at making it easy to use, and we think it is. You're able to post needs and resources and also be able to fulfill those. The Commons is just a tool to allow the church to be the church. Everything's an experiment at NCC. <laughs> so yeah, this is an experiment. Isn't that great? Isn't that exciting? Can I encourage you to go to the website, commons.a18.org, and here's our ask, that you just sign up. And here's the thing, it actually works. We've been testing it on a different campus, and they've been trying it out, 
and we get to go to partners, organizations, and we get to say, hey, we've got this tool. We've got all these people we want to meet needs. How beautiful is that? How wonderful is that? And encourage you to just peruse it. This Christmas, I wonder if you could just meet one need on our A1A Commons site. How wonderful would that be? I end with this thought. Uh, just yesterday, I walked up the stairs, and there was a microwave sitting at my, right, right, on the, 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 um, right at the front door. And I just started to smile because my friend Prince, who you saw in the video, he's not just a character, he's a friend. We've been walking with him, just received housing. And I was with him the other day at Uzana, soul food. Praise Jesus, so good. <laughs> and he told me about a need of a microwave. I popped on to A18 Commons, I put it in there, and somebody, Lauren, thank you very much, wherever you are, answered it. It was shipped to my house, and tomorrow I get to give him the gift of a microwave. This is how it works. This is what it means to be a part of a church that strips all of it away, that engages and looks right in front of us and says, how can I be available to love and serve? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this series. We thank you that you've called us out to be brave. We understand all that's swirling around in our culture today, but we can cut through it because we know you, Jesus, are in control, you see it, and you're inviting your church back to what matters most. I pray each one of us would be able to reflect a little bit today, but I also pray that we would choose to act, to respond. We thank you for the tools and the ways that you're using us. We ask your blessing on us in Jesus' name.